So, dude, I'm a grown-ass man wearing a Wookiee onesie right now, and not only am I not ashamed of it, but this is a fantastic experience. I just feel like it would be really comfortable since we're in the Midwest, and it snowed a bunch in Wisconsin and in Illinois, so I support uh, it. Uh, honestly, that's partly why I'm like, it is cold as balls up here, and I just need like Chewbacca to hug me to sleep. I got ice cream for lunch, so... Take that with what you will. <laughs> so things are going well for justice, guys. And we are Pod Wars. This episode, we'll be talking about a little Hawkeye, some Into the Spider-Verse, and some nice little comic-y nuggets. I'm here with everyone's favorite podcaster, Justice. What's up, guys? And I, I don't know. Do you want to start out with our little trailer gush here today? Yeah, I think that's what we should do. Um, we're going to do the classic act like we're pausing it, watching it, which we do. But then for you guys, it's just the normal, like you're, it's going to act like there was no break at all. So, so prepare for our commentary immediately. So we, we mentioned here before that into the spider verse is probably for both of us, our favorite Spider-Man movies. Like I, I think it tops all of them. It is. Yeah. And I think it, well, I think it has the privilege of, having the previous Spider-Mans, and so it can play on it. It's kind of like the Lego Batman movie, how it's really good and can like, make those jokes, but it's still also serious at moments. Like we, There's more. We've done, I think, an Into the Spider-Verse podcast, but like that's why you know there, there's just a lot of good stuff for our virtual jokes. And I think this one is going to live, live up to the previous one. There's First off, I have to say, after watching the trailer, like the last one, the animation looks incredible. It's so different and out there. I love it. Yeah, it, there's definitely that's the great thing about comics, where you can read one comic with one artist and then go to another comic and it's a completely other thing. And there's definitely parts in this trailer where it's just different art, uh, different. You know, he looks completely different when he hops through across the the multiverse. And then like you have one where it's, I don't know, like looks flimsy or you know cartoony versus the other one where it looks more like a serious like animated video game and i think the animation format just yields a better result with this than live action like i, I don't think you could depict just kind of the weirdness of all this in live action the same way into the spider-verse does well because like i feel like in no way home they kind of back away from it where there's the purple in this guy and that's how they're talking that would be like the little i don't know sonic the hedgehog circle things that he's flying through where like in the no way home it's just like those cracks in the sky and that's like their best way of describing it via you know live action so a few things that i kind of noticed in there um one being like he seems to fly through these little prism things it's like these hexagon shaped portals what those wasn't there something similar like that, like that in wandavision too um, I'm not sure. Are you able to explain I, a little bit more? I'm what you're pretty about? sure that's a callback to WandaVision with the portals of um, like those little hexagon things that he keeps running into in um, in the trailer. Hmm. You looking it up while you're while we're yes, talking? Yes, I'm right looking now? up right now because I swear that that was in WandaVision. Um, awesome. So I'm going to talk about other things that stood out to me yes. while you do that. Uh, one thing that I noticed. It looks like, I'm sure it's just like a fake out, but it looks like Spider-Man 2099, which if you saw the first one was the 
teaser like put end scene credit is fighting miles morales like he's swinging at him that the very end he takes like his head and throws it into the i guess the screen and then it goes black and says part one which i thought was really interesting part one is that part one trailer or there's that means it's going to be two parts to across the multiverse i don't know so okay the hexagons they remind me of so wandavision has a lot of things referring to hex or to hex bolts and this hexagonal anomaly so that shape kind of is a is symbolized a lot in wandavision for more this multiverse and odd wanda's powers so i saw in the trailer how miles falls through these loops of hexagons and i'm wondering okay is that an ode to wandavision Grasping at straws there, but it'll be a cool MCU kind of connection to the MCU multiverse. That's cool. I didn't even think about that. And yeah, maybe it's like synonymous with like if you're breaking the multiverse, you have to like open up a hexagon or travel through a hexagon. Or that shape, just that type of magic is kind of connected to the multiverse. I don't know. It was just something I saw and it gave me major WandaVision vibes. Hmm. I love the how you know Gwen pops into his room and they're doing the jokes where there's like the whitey tighties and then the picture of you know him drawing I still look that they're playing with his art but then there's a picture of her and she's like I missed you too I've seen so many inappropriate memes where that picture is changed <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> and, but I mean like the internet's great and is always undefeated, but still, I'm excited for this yeah, movie. Yeah, and the banter between him and Gwen is fantastic. You, like, it, it's going to be good, guys. Uh, you see Spider-Man 2099 in there as well, So, because we had that teaser of him in the previous movie. And I'm wondering what other ones are going to come back, what other new Spider-Man. I think we mentioned in our critique of Into the Spider-Verse how... The, our one complaint, not even a big complaint, is that why did they choose those Spider-Men when there's so many other different Spider-Man out there who could be used? Maybe they'll be used in this film. One of the things I'm wondering is if they're going to bring in the superior Spider-Man because that's when Dan Slott introduced the Spider-Verse and introduced like in the, this whole storyline that's being used. And I think Brian Michael Bendis as well. But... Um, the, the person who's getting, like, gathering them all is the superior Spider-Man, which is Dr. Octavius's, um, mind has been transferred into Peter Parker, and so then he's recruiting all of them, but it kind of seemed like the teaser at the end of the first movie was 20, Spider-Man 2099 was the one recruiting everyone. And I'm wondering if it's going to have the same kind of villains as the spider-verse comic so like justice tease there the actual spider-verse comic has superior spider-man who is peter parker but his body's taken over by the mind of doc ock sounds weird but actually a really cool concept and fantastic comics and i'm one and in that series they they fight these beings that are essentially spider-man killers like they are trying to track down spider-man and kill them off i'm wondering if they're gonna have the same kind of villains in this spider-verse movie yeah, maybe. And maybe they'll introduce Madam Web, who's super cool as well. But yeah, those, the villains that Gary's talking about, they feed off of Spider-Men. And so they have to go through each universe because once that Spider-Man is killed, they're essentially going to starve. And so they just jump from, they hop from universe to universe. So there's a lot of potential with this. Um, there's a lot of extra Spider-Men they can include. There's a million and one different Spider-Men that they could definitely include so we'll we'll see what they decide on. It'll be it'll be which, exciting to do. Which which one are you looking forward to 
the uh, most. I mean, I would love Superior Spider-Man to be in- involved in this because I think he's a he's a great one. I kind of would like like uh, isn't there the punk rock Spider-Man too? Yeah, he's cool. Um, I really want the Ghost Rider mm. Spider-Man. He's awesome. And then I also think it'd be kind of cool if they introduced Spider-Woman. Yeah, I had actually Spider-Woman in there versus just Spider-Gwen. Right. Yeah, so I think there's there's a lot for them to work with. Uh, I think, it's again, it's Phil Lord um, and his other creative partner. I'm blanking on it right now. Working on him. They did great. The first one. I'm really excited. I don't... The, I mean, the hype couldn't be any higher for it. So, moving on from some Spider-Man hype, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this show and talk a little Hawkeye. You know what's cool is that the voice for Gwen is the main character, Haley Steinfeld, for Really? Hawkeye. I did not catch that at all. Yep. She's making hell amount of money with Marvel she, right now. Yeah, she's just milking that Marvel teat as best as she can. Good, good way to put that, Gary. <laughs> Justice's face is like, gross, Gary, but but not inaccurate. But, okay, so the Hawkeye series. Justice, overall, uh, um, how excited were you going into this series? Like, were you looking forward to it? How did it stack up to your excitement for the other Marvel series? Um, This is definitely my least favorite one that I was excited for, um, but I was pleasantly surprised watching it. Like, I think it was just fun. Um, it's, you know, it was nice Christmas. It's like a Die Hard for me. Where, like, Die Hard's always considered a Christmas movie, but is it really a Christmas movie? That's like this. Marvel's, like, now we could be like, yeah, Hawkeye's a Christmas show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was probably the one I was least hyped over. Um, but like you, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. It wasn't, it wasn't great or mind-blowing, guys. It was just fun. Like, you just watch it and you're like, okay, this is an enjoyable kind of thing to see. What's really interesting is I've seen online some people, like other TV shows, really love it and other people really dislike it. And that's that goes for all of the Marvel shows. So I think it'd be really interesting, Gary, if we ranked our favorite Marvel shows since they all, we ranked the live action, what's live, uh, live action movies, let's rank the live action uh, Marvel Disney Plus mm, shows. Okay. So if I had to give my rank right now, number one would be Loki. Um, partly because of the storyline, um, his chemistry with the co-star for Sylvie, and then the overall implications on the MCU. It's definitely the one that's most intensely implicated to what's going on with the MCU. Second would be WandaVision. The concept was great. It kept me going along, not because the show was very exciting, but more so that the concept was so interesting, I wanted to see what kind of led to it. Then, hmm... From there, I guess Falcon and Winter Soldier. Actually, no. I'm going to actually put Hawkeye above Falcon and Winter Soldier. I I just wasn't that blown away with Falcon and Winter Soldier. And I wasn't blown away with Hawkeye either, but I just had more fun watching Hawkeye. I am agreeing with you 100%. Mm. Uh, I think that's a first time. Really? Yeah. We've agreed on all of the rankings. The so with Falcon and Winter Soldier, it was cool. Like that one scene where Fate Cap, you know, takes the shield and like kills the guy, and there's like the blood on it, like soiling the the shield. But I don't think that tops just some of the really enjoyable moments in Hawkeye. Like it's family friendly, it's fun. I don't think the humor is forced. Like the, it, 
the humor does seem forced, but that's because that's uh, Kate Bishop's character. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a difference between Marvel making a bad joke and her just, like, forcing this humor, but that's the character. Definitely agree with you on that. I think her, um, Kate, Kate Bishop and her character really shines in this, in this uh, I almost said movie, in this series. Her humor is great because it's that, like, awkward, like, cute, semi-forced, but also not, it feels genuine kind of humor coming from her. That being said, I think right. the humor in the series, because we have to talk about this with every Marvel property, is a bit much at times. Okay, dude, LARPing. LARPing. It was fun they brought the LARPing. <laughs> the LARPing, Come on, dude. Like, that's hilarious. Uh, not, <sighs> that's hilarious. I would love to go LARPing. Don't shame oh, on Oh, I'm LARPing. not shaming on LARPing. You know I do not have enough you know, self-respect in me to ever discount the fact that I do that. I would totally LARP. But... I think it was I, I get what you're saying. Like, they they took it a little far with having them be, like, at the very end where the, the, the fight's going down and they're helping out. I get that. But, like, up until that point, I didn't really have an issue with it. But I did think, like, the initial part where Hawkeye has to find the Ronin suit, that was hilarious. Like, that was the best one, scene out of that. And then them, like, when they come back to the apartment, I was kind of like, okay, like, what are they still doing? What are they going to be able to do to, to contribute? And that's why it, like, didn't really make sense. Yeah. I See, I was annoyed by the trying to find the Ronin suit, but they made him LARP. I'm like, this is this is a bit much for me. But I'm more, like, sensitive to MCU joke syndrome than you are. But it, it was it was a bit much for me. Um, that... Well, and then the one scene where Hawkeye, like, is trying not to get into it, or uh, Jeremy Renner's character, yeah, like, they just he's, like, not trying to act... Like he's enjoying it, but he totally is. <laughs> okay, that that I kind of that I kind of liked. I liked his begrudgingly loving it kind of mindset, but it was it was a it was a bit much, dude. Like, okay, the one that really really cringy. You brought it up, but when it's that big hero saving the day moment, and they decide, guys, we should help. They have to change into their LARPing costumes to come out and then just tell people, hey, run away, run away. Go away here. And that's their way of helping. You just hate on funny things. Gary. I just hate on people's joy, but that's beside the fact. But I think Kate Bishop's, um, her delivery is great. Jeremy Renner's delivery is great. Um, and even uh, what's-her-faces. Yelena's delivery of lines I think is pretty good, too. Um, well, you haven't even seen Black Widow, so you, like she picks up right where she left off. The, their chemistry together was just as good with her and Jeremy mm. Renner. That which I think the big thing that makes this show uh, shine is the chemistry between the characters. Um, that's why I think I I would rank it above Falcon and Winter Soldier is because I think Kate Bishop and Hawkeye have better chemistry than Falcon and Winter Soldier. Like it feels more natural. I feel like that's a really big hot take, and when fans listen to that, they're gonna be like, really. You probably just watched this more recently. Uh, uh, watch it again, guys. Look at the banter between Falcon and Winter Soldier in the actual TV show. And there's times where it works, but a lot of times where it's forced. Um, I even said that in, in the critique when we were going over Falcon and Winter Soldier, how it felt a bit forced. I definitely think Kate Bishop and Jeremy Renner's chemistry are... I, I did the actor and the character's names. I definitely think it's much better. The one thing I enjoy about the Kate Bishop 
everything about this show, the Hawkeye show, is how a lot of it feels very pulled from the mm. comics. Not that like WandaVision was very much that way. Loki was completely just a new thing. I'm sure there's a Loki story that's very similar where they got a lot of tie-ins. But the things that happen in Hawkeye take really close from Matt Fraction's story when he wrote the new Kate Bishop, you know, introduced her character. Yeah, what Justice is referring to is the 2012 Hawkeye comic run by Matt Fraction. A lot of this is taken off of that. Um, so a few little comic-y nuggets from that. Pizza Dog is from that comic series, and his actual name in the comic series is Lucky. Also, fun fact, the dog in real life has two eyes. They had to CG in the one eye. So that's your fun fact of the day. Interesting. I just thought they found a dog that was missing an eye. I, I would have appreciated that because I love seeing like the redeemed dogs from all these shelters but no they got an adorable dog and like cgi'd one eye out that's like champion from parks and rec where they like gave him the the one dog that has oh my three gosh legs and they just like he's, keep he's him. a champ i love champion so so a few other things more comic wise um well actually we we might get into it later but there's there's a lot of comic backgrounds included and some not included from characters like Echo, Kazi, Hawkeye's wife, um, even the bad so-and-so bad stepdad has a comic influence. Hmm. Interesting. Gary did the research for all of this, and I was just like, hey, Gary, you got this. Take it. Take it and run with and it. And so if our research is lacking and really crappy, I'm the one to blame. But, okay, before <laughs> we talk about little factoids and whatnot... I'd like to talk about the blip because the MCU continues to do a great mm. job of giving the blip weight and having it actually have consequences that continue onward. Yeah, this this time... So, I don't know, maybe I just haven't seen it in a while, but the blip, the way that it was used in WandaVision, you, like, you kind of just like saw people... I don't know how, how I want to say this, but like... It felt like it was from a different angle with Elena compared to Monica Rambeau's like blip experience, and and it almost felt like Elena's blip experience was more traumatic and like there felt like like pain and like shock when it happened. I don't know. I'd, I'd say that the the way Elena's experience is like is it's instantaneous. Like we felt a, a gap in between the blips. The characters felt a five year gap between the blips. For her, she walked into a bathroom. Blipped came back in the bathroom was immediately a different color. Like, it was fairly instantaneous. Granted, the different color thing, I think it was cool how they, like, slowly molded away the color just to show that there was a weird, just such an awkward transition for these people. Maybe it wasn't, like, the, it's a different experience for the characters. It's just the artistic style they used to approach showing the blip was what was really cool about Yelena's. Mm, yeah, it was definitely a different artistic style. I even saw one thing about how a lot of the characters felt like some unease, like during or before the blip, and how Yelena's just like not at all feeling any unease because she's an assassin, and so her life is constantly filled with that unease. Interesting. And, and you know, the when she comes back, you know, she has to find... I feel like... I'm trying to decide right now while we're recording what's going to be harder. Would it have been harder knowing that 
if she hadn't gotten blipped and just like Black Widow sacrificed herself or like finding out that like you lost five years and then your sister got sacrificed. I don't know what I'm trying to I, say. I think that, well, the blip definitely factors into how she processes her grief because like since this is so immediate, she just finds out her sister has died and apparently sacrificed herself. And with her being so heavily involved with shady government BS, she's like, I call bullshit. And immediately it's like, I'm going to hunt down who killed my sister. So the one thing, this doesn't really have to do with the blip, but this has to do with connecting Black Widow with Hawkeye. um, At the end, the post-scene credit of Black Widow, you have the main lady who's going around recruiting basically the Thunderbolts in the MCU TV shows. And she says, like, I have a contract for you. And it, she shows a picture of Hawkeye. So I'm wondering, does she work for the Kingpin? Because they don't really address that. Or is there just like a, that was like a misstep. And they just like, oh, we'll have, you know, Kate Bishop's mom act like she contracted out Yelena. Hmm. Could be. I don't, I don't know. The relationship with who contracted out Yelena, I just thought it was Kate Bishop's mom to try to cover her tracks for the sake of Kingpin not getting her. That's at least my interpretation of it. Right, but but then how does the one lady at the end of Black Widow fit in? That's what I'm just wondering. Like, maybe she was the person that... She was the person that told Yelena, hey, I have someone that wants you to get, you know kill Hawkeye and it ended up being her mom. I don't really know. I think maybe that's a plot hole. Maybe not. Hmm. At the very least, Galeen is probably going to be part of a a Dark Avengers or Thunderbolts kind of thing in the future um, alongside John Walker, most likely. Um, But let's let's get into a little bit of kind of the the plot line of the show. So it, it starts out more so with Kate Bishop, she's with her mom, and then what seems to be a super sketchy stepdad. So the sketchy stepdad is, um, what was his name again? D- D- uh, Jack Duchesne. And he's actually a character from the comics. So he's an ode to Swordsman, who, like the stepdad, is obsessed with swords. Swordsman in the comics is actually one of the characters that trained Hawkeye. So a little sign for if you're a really big Hawkeye fan that, okay, maybe this guy isn't the asshole of the series. I would have never known that because I don't read Hawkeye comics. I would not have known that unless I actually did the studying for this episode. Good call. Good call. But he was murking dudes, like straight up murdering people with that sword at the very last part of the episode, like episode six. You cannot tell me that, like, the cuts that he was giving those guys was, you know, like, little baby things that just going to knock them out. Like, he was slicing through their chest. Oh, yeah. Same thing with Kate Bishop. Like, she was definitely killing some of those minions. And I'm like, Hawkeye remembers. She's just a 22-year-old girl, right? And he's like, here, kid, have some explosives and murder people with me. Uh, Yeah, that last battle where they're using the random different special arrows like dudes died. dudes definitely died like what and we're gonna be like oh but they're just so great they're the avengers i mean i'm still gonna be like that so screw those guys but the series really starts to kind of spiral when kate is at her stepdad's sketchy rich people party and they are selling the ronin suit 
So if you remember back from Avengers Endgame, Ronan was kind of the persona that Hawkeye took on after the blip to one kind of destroy the criminal underworld and two process his grief by killing off all the people that really didn't didn't deserve to be around after the blip as a way to I don't know process his grief for the loss of his family the one thing that I can appreciate about this show and a lot of the other Disney plus shows is them expressing and handling grief not like how the characters are handling grief but that they're showing on tv how different people show grief and that happened a lot i felt like in hawkeye like one scene specifically is when i guess there's multiple scenes but the one i can think of right away is when he's in new york and there's that plaque and it's like the here's lies like the battle of new york and then they have the six avengers and he's looking at there and he sees you know natasha romanoff black widow kind of thing and just like starts like like getting very emotional and i don't know why but like i i got emotional as well i don't really care for you know black widow as much and i like i talked about how i'm not a big fan of that movie and i didn't really care about the sacrifice but like this show made me care about that so much more yeah it you've mentioned that a lot justice and how all these shows center around grief and i think the hawkeye way it centers around grief is what's the good way versus the bad way to handle grief like, the bad way of handling grief was him being Ronan, just consumed by anger. The good way of him handling grief was with him and Yelena at the end, I think, of just owning up right. to, this is what happened, I'm mourning this too, I'm sorry. That, or, like, the idea that going on this path of revenge, killing dudes, it's going to have consequences, and you're because of that, a lot of people could get hurt, that one being Kate, the other being his family or his wife, but your actions, you know, the grief that you go through is still going to have repercussions. So I don't know how the hell we even talked about this yet, dude, but okay. I love the Captain America, the musical, Steve Rogers, the musical. I would totally see that show. Oh, for sure. I, I, I'm really surprised that they haven't, you know, like you said, you know, people milking the Marvel cow, why they haven't done an actual musical. Cause I, I, you know, they like got real people who have made some phenomenal musicals. I can't just like name the guys because that's not my nerdy segment of the world, but they went out and found, you know, contracted famous people made the music. And I loved that the very end posting credit isn't some other tease. Isn't them trying to, you know, talk about what's coming next it's just like here you go it's almost like a big middle finger but then also like a we know you wanted more but you won't admit it (laughs) yeah it's it's great one of the guys in there one of the people involved was i believe like uh one of the main characters in rent and they heavily influenced off of hamilton with just the look of it like it literally just looks like the hamilton poster but with captain america and what's super interesting about this, I don't know if we're getting too meta into the whole musical and maybe Marvel wasn't, I'm sure Marvel was thinking about it. Ant-Man is in there and Ant-Man clearly was never part of the whole battle. And so I'm wondering maybe the the blip or something, you know, changed. I don't know, with them maybe going back in time somehow maybe ant-man was there or this is that maybe they just wanted to add another character because everyone really likes ant-man who knows i i just love how 
um, Clint is clearly just annoyed. He's like, Ant-Man wasn't even there, guys. <laughs> yeah. Now, so there's the... Alongside this beginning, a lot of it in the beginning is just character development. Um, a lot of stuff of Hawkeye had to be home to his family for Christmas, showing his mourning of Black Widow, which I think is a good display of his mourning. And eventually... Hawkeye and Kate Bishop start to join up and the crap really hits the fan, especially when, when, well, after Kate gets into the Ronin suit at that sketchy auction and Hawkeye runs into her and she's just starstruck and he realizes this girl is basically screwed. Like she's now embroiled in Ronin, something I thought is behind me and I'm going to have to fix this. Right, and what's cool about this show is there's definitely the clear, um, how do I want to say this, origin story where the they get their powers and then they like train and they then they kind of have a win, but then they lose and then they get back up and then they you know uh, save the day. That happens, but it happens specifically between the relationship between Hawkeye and Kate Bishop. Like, uh, it, it, the, the Jeremy Renner's character and Haley Steinfeld go through that same process as well while she's also going through that process of becoming her hero. Yeah, it's, but that process does take a while, which is one of my critiques of this show is that the show doesn't really feel super action packed until the last two episodes. Um, that's when I really was hooked. And at that point, I'm like, well, then the show's done because so much of it is developing the characters it was good development it just took a while right and also the show has a ton of uh like in being inclusive the like dealing hawkeye dealing with him being deaf like in the comics he was deaf now they i like how they explained why he's deaf uh from all the explosions that he's dealt with all of the you know like fights he's been in like this his ears are battered and one of the really heartbreaking scenes is he sends his kids home to go to be like away so that he can deal with the crap that's going down in new york but he promises he's going to be home for christmas and there's a part where every single day leading up to christmas they have something planned like they're going to make christmas cookies they're going to make gingerbread houses they're going to watch christmas movies and he keeps on missing each and every single one. And his son calls him one day because everyone's asleep. But his hearing aid is broken and he cannot hear what his son is saying. So Haley, Kate Bishop is writing down on a pad of paper what his son is saying so that he can hear. And it's just like this really, I felt like that was super heartbreaking. And it's cool when they show moments of hawkeye's vulnerability because he is the most vulnerable avenger but then you see it in like kate's eyes that epic scene of him jumping off the building shooting the arrow and swinging through she sees him as this ultimate hero when in reality that scene immediately after shows him clutching at his chest just wrecked because he's swung through a window um but okay so i made a little error for this when i was texting justice about it at first i was like okay this is with Echo, I had a little bit of a iffiness about the character until I looked into the comic origins, and I'll explain why. Well, well, for hold on, for those of you who don't know, Echo is mm. Maya. She's she is the uh, character that is going after Ronan because 
and get and we'll get more into it but because like her father was killed by ronin now now you can yeah so okay so maya the character's echo is going to have a disney plus series um at first i wasn't too familiar with the character in the comics so what i justice and i talked about this a lot of how inclusion within the mcu is great when it's you know done actually with effort for well-written characters it's not great when you could tell that it's just a corporation trying to get woke points by just shoehorning in different people who are in underprivileged communities and what have you so at first when i saw echo i'm like okay disney's trying to get woke points okay they have a person of color who is disabled with a prosthetic leg and deaf and a female leader like they're trying to get woke points but then I look into the comic origin, and it actually does fit a lot with the comic origin. Echo is a character who is deaf, and that's actually part of, one, her trials, and two, how she became so incredibly strong within more of the Daredevil comic book line. Um, the other interesting thing I saw was that Echo in the comics doesn't have a prosthetic leg. The actress herself who played Echo has a prosthetic leg. So it, I, at first I thought it was just, Disney trying to get woke points, but no, this is actually them well crafting a comic accurate character. That's really cool. I definitely did think, and maybe this is me just being ignorant. There, there were some moves that she was performing that I'm like, ah, oh, man, would her prosthetic leg be able to work like that? But As I'll a physical also, therapist, no, definitely no. I was thinking of that all the time, and it bothered the mess out of me because I'm like, prosthetic legs are usually held on by different layers of socks over the uh, residual limb. And so if she's kicking things around, I'm like, that has to either be like the most well-built prosthetic leg ever or or this is just movie magic. It was hard for me to buy into. But either way, I think her character's cool. I like the turmoil that she goes through. Yeah, like I was saying earlier, uh, she is after Clint and finds out about her Clint's family because you know, he was Ronan and he stabbed her father and she happened to be there like when he's bleeding out. So you have these multiple storylines of Kate with the conflict of her family, Hawkeye trying to bail out Kate while also dealing with the Ronan situation, his loss with Black Widow, and then Echo or Maya's whole storyline of her father was killed. She blames Ronan and her trying to go against Hawkeye. And then you get into probably like the fifth episode where then you, they introduce Yelena and that, that like them, sorry, them being Kate Bishop, Clint Barton, Hawkeye and Hawkeye trying to get into sneak into the apartment to get the watch is when Yelena gets introduced. And I really liked that whole scene. I liked them fighting and, you know, and then like after they're done, that's when Clint has the moment where like, we're no longer working together. Like this just got a whole lot more serious because a black widow is now after me. Like you need to get out of this situation because you can't handle this. It had a lot more gravity to the situation versus before it has more of a like, Hey, Kate Bishop's playing around. She's having fun and enjoying this. But when a black widow shows up, he's like, okay, this is actually getting real. Like you should probably stop. Right. And, and one of the things that we're not talking about is there are like that, that car chase scene is great with all the different, you know, arrow trick arrows he has and the crazy, you know, like the one where I guess like the very end where 
she shoots the arrow in the air and then he hits it and like it gets oh, like, super with the big and particles. It the... so cool yeah like there's just certain elements to hawkeye's arrows that i really appreciated where we don't really get to see that in the other avenger movies but because like they let that aspect shine and there wasn't a time where one of my issues with hawkeye is at a certain point he's going to run out of arrows and they do do that. Like they have that experience where they run out of arrows or they like pick them up during the battle because they're running low. So like the, I never felt like it was unrealistic with the amount of arrows they had. In it wasn't packs. Legolas syndrome where he has an unlimited amount of arrows. Like it was, it was the fight scenes I thought were incredible. Um, my only thing against it was I kind of wanted more, which is a good thing to feel after a fight scene because MCU is known for having fight scenes oftentimes too long and drawn out. The fight scenes are, I, I'd actually would love a little bit more trick arrows, more of those fight scenes and more Hawkeye action. Especially when they're on the ice rink and they're like spinning back and forth off of each other, shooting different guys, you know, using the electricity arrows, using the magnet arrows. There was some really cool things that he came up with. It's like sometimes I forget that uh, Clint is super smart, and like he is a he. Yeah, I guess he's a CIA agent or, or a Shield agent. He's incredibly intelligent and has superpowers, quote unquote. And so it was just cool seeing him flourish in moments where he's like building the arrows, and Kate Bishop is funny, like being funny and trying to type which one it is, so that she knows when she's pulling out the thing. Like, okay, this is this gun. Or th this arrow. Yeah, it's. I, I enjoyed the little jokes about like having the arrows labeled, as she's just kind of with Clint being deaf, just guessing what the arrows are during that fight scene. I thought that was great. Or okay, I, I'm sure you thought these were probably forced, but the whole time there's like this dog that she adopts, and there's parts where she's like, "Oh crap, I forgot to walk him," and Clint's like earpiece isn't working, and just goes, "You should walk him." He's like, I just said that, but like he can't hear that. I actually that. liked that part because um, I liked I liked Jeremy Renner's delivery. I like Kate Bishop's character. I think their their lines didn't have the cheese factor for me. And if it was cheesy, it worked because it was kind of like in a cheesy dad joke type way. Right. So you know, at the let's talk about the Yelena Hawkeye battle because there is a very real moment where I don't think he was going to walk away. Like I was super surprised that he was able to get through her. Yeah, I think at a certain point you could just tell that he just decides to stop fighting. And like the one moment where she has her gun pointing at him and he either cause he lost or because he's like, I don't want to actually hurt uh, Natasha's sister. He just instead resorts to giving up and does the whistle that really sparks her out of it. Right, and you haven't seen Black Widow, so that doesn't you probably didn't understand. But that whistle is really important throughout the story. It she does it. It happens in the beginning of the movie, and then it happens kind of at the end. And it's the thing between Natasha and Yelena. And so the fact that he did that is what breaks her anger and her realizing that Clint, what he's saying is true, and that he really did try to, you know, save her from whatever she did. And I really hope that their friendship blossoms because I think that they could both bring each other a lot of healing. Like, the, they're both hurting from losing this person that means a lot to them. And they could form a friendship to 
help with that. It, it's definitely a sweet moment. It's it's cool to see. You can see a lot of growth in Clinton's character at that point of him finally accepting Black Widow being gone. It, Like I mentioned earlier, it shows the relationship between a poor way to adapt to grief and a good way to adapt to grief, both in this and really perpetuates on what Justice has mentioned in all of our Marvel episodes and how the series tend to focus a lot on grief and how people handle it. Right. So I think we should jump into probably the biggest spoiler or teaser uh, that was also, we talked about a little bit in No Way Home, but we kind of wanted to save it for this episode. And that's the freaking Kingpin. Not just any Kingpin, the Kingpin from Netflix. I love that they kept him as Kingpin because everyone, uh, uh, over universally, people love that Daredevil Kingpin arc believe that both actors are great for that role. And I I love how they have Kate's family entangled with Kingpin as part of all of the sketchiness, the misdirect of the stepdad being the bad guy when it was the mom the whole time. It was it was incredible. But go ahead, dude. And then they have the, you have the fight with Kate Bishop and Kingpin where okay, so I don't know if you felt this, but I felt that even though that it's the same actor who played Kingpin, they almost feel slightly different Kingpins. In the first one, he was very sophisticated. He liked his fine wine, his art, his, you know, he was, um, I don't know, just like this very zealous guy. Whereas in this one, he's got a, you know, a Hawaiian shirt on. And this one, he seemed a little stronger. Like she shoots an arrow at him and he just kind of like bounces off Mm. of him. Because Kingpin Dunn has like massive strength, like he's not just some weakling dude, who's or just some tall guy that's like overweight. Like he has, you know, some strength behind him. And I felt like this character is a little on edge, you know, uneven. You know, still has that command, but things are breaking down for him. Where you didn't really see that in the Netflix show. It definitely does seem a little different. There are some carryover parts, so. I have a few little fun factoid things I saw on Kingpin. So I looked up, like Justice said, Kingpin is known actually for being super strong in the comics. And the the lowest body fat percentage I saw for Kingpin in the comics had one comic saying that he is 2% body fat. So that him like there looking like he's fat, he's really just filled with muscle. And I just love that. I think that's hilarious and great. But he's definitely depicted, I think, a little bit stronger. Like in Daredevil, the one of the more intense moments you see of him is slamming that man's head um, with the door. This one, you see him literally rip a door off. Like that's a huge difference in power level. And... You're right that he's a little bit more philosophical and in nature in the Daredevil version, but he still carries on that sort of overly nice facade when he's talking, like toward Kate Bishop's mom and towards Maya, but he has little things that show that he's just incredibly enraged. The one I saw was, um, so look at the actor as he's doing the scenes, he does this tiny little eye twitch uh, that kind of gives it away when he's trying to suppress his anger and that twitch gets worse and worse throughout the scene as he gets more angry. 
So, like, the, the scene where Kate Bishop's mom confronts him saying that she's going to be out of the business, he starts with a slight eye twitch, and by the end of the scene, it's just, like, twitching like crazy, like he's holding back rage. I, I thought that was incredible by the actor. That's really cool. I didn't notice that. I'll have to go back and look into that. So, one of the things that I really liked, and I kind of talked about this in the whole No Way Home podcast, but... um the way that they introduced the whole Netflix show series with like Kingpin and Daredevil, how episode five came out and you just see, you know, the Kingpin's face and a photo. But then, you know, at that same time, that was Wednesday, Thursday night came out, Spider-Man No Way Home and is comes out and Charlie Cox is introduced as Daredevil. I just think the timing I'm going to say it again by Marvel. Phenomenal job. They're thinking all these things through very thoroughly. Yeah, the timing was great. It's it's fan service done right again because the Kingpin is also not just a cheap cameo. He's a cool new character in the show and it really elevates the intensity of the show and just the depth of what could go wrong now that Kingpin's involved. But... Go ahead. Oh, so all I was going to say is... In the show, Maya or Echo kind of realizes that things aren't the way they seem, that there was, because Hawkeye was like, I, you know, even though I killed your father, there was things going on behind the scenes that Kingpin wanted kind of your dad dead or was, was okay with it or whatnot. And so Hawkeye is able to get through Maya and, and is realizing that Kingpin's actually a bad guy. And so she turns. And I think this is a pretty interesting kind of a turn of events at the end of the show because you see this really huge battle between Kate Bishop and Kingpin and then Kingpin's kind of walking away defeated and there stands Maya with a gun and all you see is this blast. and then But you don't see the actual shot go off. Now, some people were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they just wasted Kingpin. Guys, you should know two things when it comes to cinema. One, if you don't see the death on screen, they most likely didn't die. And two, it's Marvel Comics, Marvel TV show. They can bring the character back. And three, there's a comic explanation for that shot. So Echo actually does shoot Kingpin in the comics, but the shot only temporarily blinds him. So there's some comic panels showing Kingpin with these patches over two eyes. So a lot of people think it's a shout out to that comic and that Kingpin's going to be still there, but he's going to either be permanently blinded in some kind of up upheaval he's going to have with Daredevil, kind of a blind versus blind type thing, or it's going to be just temporarily blinded by the shot as an ode to the comic. So either way, there's no way they just wasted off Kingpin. Definitely not, especially after they just introduced Daredevil. That's like Daredevil's main antagonist. Like Those guys have been going back and forth for years in the comics, and again and again and again. So, I mean, heck, they're now doing Devil's Reign in the comics where Kingpin is mayor, and he's going after Daredevil, who's been in prison for a while. Yeah, they're they're definitely going to keep him going. Uh, My guess is he's temporarily blinded by it just like in the comics, something similar to that effect. And we're probably going to see episode one of Echo is going to be like that. Now, are you ready, dude, to talk about a little bit of how Hawkeye is going to affect the future of the MCU or kind of tells little bits about it? 
I am. I did not know you had something prepared for that. So lay this knowledge on me because I feel like the show is the one that has the least impact on the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. Agreed. So I do think that Hawkeye overall has the least impact, just like how Black Widow, that movie had the least impact of all the movies on the overall MCU. Um, there are some few ways it'll probably still affect it, um, but not to the same extent as stuff like Loki or WandaVision. And I think the reason that matters is if if I was going to have somebody who's come up to me and say, what TV shows do I have to see in order to enjoy Multiverse of Madness or in order to enjoy the next phase of Marvel? I'd say you have to watch Loki and, and WandaVision. I wouldn't say you have to watch Captain America when uh, Captain American Winter Soldier. I don't think you'd have to watch Hawkeye. But there are some things that will carry over. Obviously, Kingpin's a big one. Having his inclusion in the MCU is going to be big and going to help carry forward probably through Daredevil, possibly through another things, a multitude of things. I mean, heck, he's even a Spider-Man villain. He's all over the place. Um, you also have Yelena involved, most likely going to have either a Dark Avengers or Thunderbolts, maybe a Young Avengers too, with Kate Bishop as well. So there are some stuff that could affect the MCU, but if you're an MCU fan and you want to still understand the movies and you don't necessarily feel the need to watch Hawkeye, all you really need to know is Kingpin's a part of the MCU now, Kate Bishop is the new young Hawkeye. And I feel like you're good. Yeah. The way when you were talking, the thing that popped into my head was how it seems like the introduction to Kingpin and this show is for the super fans of Marvel. Whereas you got that kind of introduction for the casual Marvel fan when you went and saw No Way mm -hmm. Home. Whereas like as soon as you saw the Daredevil appear and like Charlie Cox Mentally, you're probably like, all right, cool. Kingpin's going to show up at some point if they're bringing this guy in. But if you really want to investigate, that's when you go walk the, watch the Hawkeye yeah. show. So it's, I would say that overall, the series is fun. I enjoyed watching it, but I wouldn't say it's required viewing. I would say that Loki is absolutely required viewing. Um, I'd even argue that WandaVision is required viewing because of Multiverse of Madness. But this one isn't necessarily. So if you want to, if you like Hawkeye, if you want just a fun kind of action adventure type TV show, it's still worth the time. Is it time that dude? I think. I don't know what I just said. <laughs> is it is time, it time that dude? dude? I think it is time that dude for this week's comic of the week. So I am going to do a review on the new Wolverine comic that just came out. I'm not going to give a little synopsis about what's been happening in Wolverine because this has nothing to do with it. It's just one of those comics where it's like a one-off before they start a whole new arc. And so I, but I will give a little background on, on X-Men currently. There's a bunch of different teams and they introduced, we've talked about it before, but Krakoa, which is like this huge Island. That's also not a mutant, but it's, it's a species that has a relationship with Kirko or the, the X-Men where they can stay there now. And it's kind of like uh, their own nation. And what's really cool about Kirko is that they can plant gates and portals wherever they want with these seeds and they can transport themselves anywhere, but only X-Men can go through unless they allow the human to go through, but more often than not, they don't. So 
there's there's that. And so it picks up with the Wolverine comic, and he's got this inner monologue going on, and he's like, you know, we as the X Men species, it's been such a hard life. You know, we're we're so hated, the normal kind of X Men thing. But recently, we have become complacent because life has been too easy. You know, we no longer have to fight because we have this nation. We no longer have to, you know, survive. And when we, you know, as a species, as evolution happens, we need to go through these trials and tribulations so that we become become stronger. But we haven't been because of this planet. But recently, people are showing up dead. And just like random X-Men are going off missing near the, where the ocean is at. So Wolverine, by himself, is going to go investigate what is going on. And he talks about how he's becoming complacent and how he's losing, you know, his fight and his tenacity because things have become really nice and he doesn't like that. So instead of including his team on what he's going out to do, he's going into like, he takes this ship and he goes to the middle of the ocean and he fights this sea monster. And it's this massive Leviathan just sitting in the ocean. It's this huge, huge, huge Leviathan that's got like, it looks like half whale, half sea monster with tentacles coming out of its mouth. And he, you know, tries to do the Moby Dick thing where he's trying to get like a harpoon latched onto it. And finally he's like, you know what, screw it. And it drags him into the water. And he talks about how there's so much pressure on his body. And you can see it in the comic. His, his you know, his skeletal structure is breaking down. His skin is bleeding because of the pressure of the water that he's feeling. And and then he's like, this is what it feels like to live. This is it. Like we've been so complacent. Now I'm, now I feel alive again because of like the horror of, I don't know, I'm going to make this, make it out. And he ends up getting eaten by it. Does the cool Wolverine thing where now he's just like his, the bones and his skin are f- ripped off but there's still the skeletal structure of not i guess not bones because the adamantium's around it his tissues and organs are ripped apart and he with his claws like rips through the leviathan and just kind of floats up to the surface and he's like okay today's the day i don't die and then just kind of that's the end of the comic okay that's really dope that's super dope right it, it's this I, and i really love the i mean the art's really great but the concept is what's so cool about the we become complacent. So I need I personally need to go and do something where there's this struggle, this tussle where I don't know if I'm going to make it out because that's how I know that we're living. And that's such a Wolverine thing to do too. Like that's awesome. So there's your comic of the week. It's Wolverine number nineteen, written by Greg Percy. I don't know the artist because I'm a douchebag <laughs> or the colorist. What about the inker, man? Come on, the inker. Yes, that that too. I, well, a lot of times the color is, is the inker, but I could be wrong. Sometimes they split it off. But anyway, guys, you can find us on Twitter at Podwars Podcast or Gmail, askpodwarspodcast at gmail.com. We aren't sure what order we're going to be releasing these episodes, but we've been doing a nice podcasting binge since I've had the COVID, and it's been quite productive for the podcast. But... Next up, we're probably going to be coming a little bit of Star Wars Visions. At some point, we're going to be finishing up What If, and I would like to, at some point, too, do a little bit more on The Witcher Season 2, because I just started that up, and I loved that first episode. I am, like, maybe 10 minutes into the first episode. It's good, dude. It's good. But, everyone, check out Hawkeye if you're looking for just a fun little Marvel thing, and have a great week. <laughs>